Hello, it's Andrew. Hi, this is Chris Garcia calling from The Drink Tank. Hey, how are you? Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking my call. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Uh, excellent. Well, let me just explain a little bit. We're doing an issue about uh, the Wild Party uh, in all of its forms over the years. Uh, and so we really, you know, that was the first thing that came to mind were both the wonderful musicals that came out the same year that really, really made me confused as to which I was going to go see first. <laughs> uh, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm so glad that I, get, I actually get to talk to one of the most, in my case, one of the most admired uh, writers right now. I mean, you're doing great stuff. <laughs> Thank you. That's kind of you. Excellent. Okay, so let me just dive right in. Um, when did you first come across The Wild Party? It was September of 1995 in a Barnes & Noble. I was, my musical, my first musical that ever got produced in New York was still running. It was, it's called John and Jen. And I was looking for something else to write. And I didn't have a project. And so I thought I would go to the bookstore um, in the days that one did that and look through poetry because I also wasn't a lyricist back then. And I thought I would find poems, and maybe I would just write a few songs or a song cycle or get some idea. And uh, I found the spine. The spine was interesting to me. I pulled it off. I loved it, the title. saw the Art Spiegelman drawing, and I opened it up, and it had red, fuzzy a uh, red fuzzy interior in the opening page and I thought this is an amazing book with a red fuzzy interior and then I got to the beginning of the poem and again another incredible drawing and it said Queenie was a blonde and her age stood still and she danced twice a day in vaudeville and I was hooked that was it yeah that was and that really in my opinion that's the quintessential opening you know you get your your main character out there immediately and then you know where things stand yeah it was uh my intention was to write something like Cats. I was going to set a poem to music. And when I started working on the piece, I realized that there's very little in the first person. And so I, I quickly shifted my, uh, my focus because I wanted it to be where they would, someone would say, I want or I feel or I do or I will. And um, so I started writing lyrics, and that's how I started becoming a lyricist. Wow. So this, so this is the first lyrics you wrote ever? Uh, yeah, they are. They wow. are the first lyrics I wrote ever. I had written a couple parody lyrics for some things for, you know, parties or, you know, late-night revels at a theater kind of thing, uh, but had never written lyrics to songs. Wow, well, congratulations. Can you, hold, can you hold for one second? Absolutely. Hi, sorry. Ah, no problem. Yeah, well, great first shot, actually. I mean, you really nailed it on that one. I'm, something like Thank The Life you. of the Party uh, is just one of those, like, blow away. And I was, I was so glad I actually hadn't seen it since I saw it in the show uh, to actually find that you had that on the uh, website. Uh, for the musical, which just made me so happy <laughs> to get to see it. Oh, again. great! Yeah, thanks. Now, of course, with the Wild Party, you, it's impossible. No one's managed to adapt it exactly like the poem went, and I don't know if anything's ever been adapted exactly like its predecessor came. 
Uh, how did you sort of deal with the adaptation of it to fit your sort of vision or movement? Well, these things uh, in some ways happen over time. You know, one of the one of the truisms of writing a musical is that you fall in love with source material. You write your musical, and then bit by bit, you destroy the source material that inspired you in the first place because source material is usually not, uh, well, it wouldn't be another musical, and it's usually not, wasn't once a stage piece, it was usually something else. And so in order to turn it into something that works on the stage with music and lyrics, you, you end up having to lose much of the, the, the essence of what the thing was originally and find its own voice and find its own way of telling the story. And uh, my original impulse was to just uh, literally, I would crack the poem open and write scenes. And I would just read the next section of the poem and decide what I thought was the most interesting and what I wanted to write about. And then I would just write it, um, which is not the way I would recommend anybody go about making a musical because it took us a lot of, there was a lot of development after that. Now, lots of musicals are produced in lots of different ways, and some go through incredible amounts of change, and most go through incredible amounts of change. And um, and this was no exception, so I ended up writing probably 20 songs that aren't in the show um, that are in a drawer somewhere. And uh, But uh, that's not uncommon. Most shows have, you know, you end up writing quite a bit of extra material to, because, you know, you go down this road, you find out it doesn't work, you go down that road, you find out it doesn't work, you, you, you eventually figure it out. And how long was your workshop pro process? And a year, two years, seven years? <laughs> well, it, from beginning to end, from from beginning from from the time I discovered the poem to the time we went into rehearsal for the Manhattan Theater Club production, it was just over four years. It was four and a half years from the time I started writing to the time uh, to the time we opened in New York, and four and a half years uh, for for a new musical, uh, particularly by an unknown writer. Um, which I was at the time, um, is extraordinarily fast. Yeah, that's, that's a really short process. Yeah, that's relatively incredible. I mean, nowadays you see, once in a while you'll see the folks who use that as the gimmick that they can got it done like in a week. Uh, the 9-11 musical that uh, opened in uh, L.A. on September 18th, 2001, was one, the first example that I can remember. Yeah. Um, it's not normal. To, it takes a while to make these things. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so let me ask, uh, of course, the same season, uh, Lachusa's Wild Party opened on Broadway. Did you ever see it? I did, because uh, my show closed before theirs did. Oh, really? Huh. And what do you think of the differences between the two? Well, you know, I only saw it once, and it was right in the aftermath of my show closing and not transferring to Broadway. So I can't. I can't even begin to, to to suggest that I had a an unbiased response to it, mm. um, and uh, and because of that, I don't really know. I mean, my my answer wouldn't be coherent. It would be neither coherent nor accurate, um, because the the only thing I, I gathered from their piece was that what what I felt while watching it was they they were very they were very interested in the period and um, and its effects on the people in it, and I was very interested in the love quadrangle, and and um, and the period was merely a backdrop for me. I wasn't interested in writing about the period as much as I was in writing about the the just the, the incredibly obsessive feelings that the people were having. And uh, and I think the other piece 
was uh, more interested in in lots of different things, and so they the, they wrote a different musical. Yeah. Oh yeah, and they both and the way they actually both complement each other. I think uh, they I think they really I've watched uh, I've actually listened to the uh, soundtracks both back to back, and I realized that everything is taken from a very different direction, and they're both very interesting directions. So it's why there can never be a best perfect adaptation of anything because everyone has that different view that moves a different way. Yeah, you, there's lots of examples in the movie, in the movie world of that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of movies, did you ever see the Merchant Ivory Wild Party? No, I never did. I, I didn't want to be influenced by mm-hmm. um, any of these things that existed out there in the world, uh, and then have somebody come back and say, you know, you stole from us. I could always claim that I never saw it. Yeah, and you probably made a good choice in this one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about it. Yes. Oh, it's. It, it basically conflates the poem with the Fatty Arbuckle trial, and it's yes, I recall that. That's what it was. Yeah, James Coco is good, but he's good in everything. Um, now let me ask you just this: a question I always ask any songwriter I ever get to interview is, if you had to take one song out of the show that represents the show to you, what song would that be? Well, for me, it was probably the Juggernaut, oh. um, which I wrote late in the process. You know what? Well, now I'm now I'm doubling back. I suppose it's actually make me happy. Um, the the thing which is the climax of the play. Mm-hmm. Um, what I what I love very much about that scene is that it it fulfills all of the things that I like about musical theater. Um, it 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 created as much tension as possible in a moment where we knew we knew everything that was going to happen, but for one obvious thing, which was who's going to be the one who gets killed. Um, well, there was the, we knew someone would get killed, but we just didn't know who. And I want—I thought that's something I could sustain for five minutes. I could—I could keep that tension. And like in real life, when someone points a gun at you, what does that feel like? And how do you—how do you keep the ball in the air that, and, and keep the tension in the room? And so that was my—that was the goal I set myself for that scene. And though it's led by Burrs, it's very much a trio. But for the for the um, uh, three major characters in the play, really, Kate is is major but she doesn't take part in that climax and um and i was i am very proud of that because it it delivers a certain like entertainment value of people just singing the hell out of something um and yet nothing really happens there's not a lot of activity in the song it's merely three people fighting for their lives but that's what i love about it too because the stakes are so high yeah and that that really is that's that's one of the ones that really sticks with you too. I mean, that's just wow. <laughs> I I remember seeing it at at the show and walking out going, "Wow, that whole thing was great, but I can't think they could have ended it a better way." There was just like that the emotion was all right there and then you got the release and wow. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of the night. Well, thank you and good luck with the project. Great. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right, take care. Bye-bye.